Cascadia and the edge of the world, Euphomet presents Night Drift with Jim Perry. Live on Alternative Talk, 1150 KKNWAM and worldwide at euphomet.com. I'm Jim Perry and you are listening to Night Drift presented by Euphomet. A very packed show for you tonight. It's Strange Days Indeed, with the publisher of a zine with that very title. Andrew Andrew Jewell shares what's in the newest issue, like updates on the Lake Michigan Mothman, Black Triangles, and Hell Mouths. But in the first segment, a practitioner of the poison path of occult herbalism, Kobe Michael, joins us to discuss his new fascinating book, The Poison Path Herbal. Baneful herbs, medicinal nightshades, and ritual entheogens. Tonight, broadcasting from my home studio on the hinterlands of the Oregon coast, at, at, at essentially the edge of the world, I wanted to thank you for checking in on me after alluding to a treacherous Thanksgiving weekend during last week's broadcast. I also told you that I'd share that story with you tonight, and so do you have a minute? Black Friday was pretty dark indeed for my wife and I as we dropped our car off at a Portland dealership for maintenance. We drove back home through a forested highway, cutting up through the ridgeline and the hills until a corner we came upon a herd of elk in the middle of the highway. Uh, Needless to say, we hit an elk. And it was like a scene from a movie. Everything went dark. And it was a smash cut, and I awakened in the car as my ears were ringing, the cabin full of smoke, every airbag deployed. The first thing I did was look over to see if my wife, who was driving, was okay. And it's this part that I can't really recount without getting emotional, because there there was a minute where I thought she may have been hurt. Um, I've never experienced that in my life, and uh, I did on that night. So, she was fine. Her head was down, but only because she was focused and steering towards the edge of the road to get out from the middle of the road. So we pulled over, we were able to get out, we were able to bend the doors back and, and get out of the car. Someone had pulled over right next to us and said, hey, I'll... I'll go forward and and I'll get service and I'll I'll give the state troopers a call. So we stood there out in the mist of this deep Oregon coast forest and looking over there was the elk that we hit and the thing was massive. It, it, It had this hulking frame. It must have been half a ton. And this thing, unfortunately, I'm sorry for those of you that are squeamish right now and sensitive, Maybe don't listen to the next 10 seconds. But each of its hind legs were kind of broken off and hanging from it. And this very noble beast was still sitting upright as if proud that he had lived through this terrible event. Its long neck was touting a a sense of prominence, but a sadness as it slowly turned and connected eyes with me. And and to be in there in that moment and, and to look into the eyes of that creature a hundred feet away from me 
knowing its futile existence, and we essentially hunted this thing with the most expensive bullet you could get, a 2021 loaner car from a dealership, an SUV, never mind. And it wasn't moments later that we were completely inundated by hunters and pickup trucks. For what we found out that very day was the last day of elk hunting season. And so, literally, this is the reason why we slammed into this elk in the first place. The hunters were everywhere. There was a swarm. And they had essentially pushed the elk out into the highway. Now, thankfully, the elk didn't have to suffer long. A hunter came through, dispatched it, and as we were sitting there waiting for the state trooper to show up, a little bit in shock, a little cold, checking ourselves not really believing how good a physical quality we were in after such an alarming event, after things could have gone so much more wrong. This hunter had the appropriate tags for this elk cow, was able to come and dispatch and take care of it right on the spot. So at least, I suppose, this elk served a greater purpose And in addition to being an incredible clarion call for myself in my own life, provided tremendous amounts of meat for several coastal families for a long time. So that's what happened. And, you know, essentially when these things happen, uh, I've heard that it will change folks. That these experiences where sort of death may have been at your doorstep can change your psychology, can change your hopes, dreams, desires, ideas. And it did that for me, and it was surprising. I came back home, and I started cutting things out of my life that just weren't working, that didn't serve a purpose and didn't serve me, and didn't hold a positivity. Some, some of that was people. Some of that, some of that were things. And I really got a true sense of what being thankful was on that Black Friday. Thank you for everyone that reached out to make sure I was doing okay. And I'm sorry if I scared anybody about alluding to, uh, you know, kind of a scary story. Um, So I appreciate you guys. And tonight, we'll be talking about bridging that gap between what our typical daily reality is and the ways we can both manifest them and how these things potentially can be manifested in front of us. That is through potentially the act of magic and ritualism. And that is, in fact, finding yourself in magical and ritualistic places. Places that maybe are a gateway to something much greater. And we'll also be taking your calls tonight, 425-373-5527, or toll-free in Western Washington, 888-298-KKNW, on Night Drift with Jim Perry, on Alternative Talk, KKNW, 1150 AM, right after this. social media at euphemet e-u-p-h-o-m-e-t this episode is brought to you by shopify whether you're selling a little or a lot shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching from the launch your online shop stage all the way to the 
we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. You're listening to Night Drift with Jim Perry on Alternative Talk, 1150 AM, KKNW, Seattle. Now, here again is Jim. Indeed, I'm back again, and this time with Kobe Michael, who is a practitioner of the poison path of occult herbalism and a cultivator of entheogenic herbs. He contributes to the Pagan Archives at Valdosta University, writes regularly for the House of Twigs, and maintains a blog, Poisoner's Apothecary, on Pathios Pagan. He teaches classes and online workshops on plant magic, baneful herbs, and traditional witchcraft. He lives in Fort Wayne, Indiana. And Kobe, welcome so much to Night Drift. Hey, Jim. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, your, your book is is really fascinating. I read it. My wife read it. Um, I, I highly recommend it to, to those, especially, you know, sort of practicing magic, in which I don't, but found it fascinating. I think, first of all, let's lay the groundwork here for your relationship to this and magic, potentially. Um, how, how, how did your background in occultism kind of shape you and bring you to, to plants in particular? Um, they kind of really developed simultaneously, um, you know, having this sort of connection to the natural world and interest in plants and also sort of this simultaneous attraction to the supernatural, to magic, to the occult and paranormal. So really, they were just my sort of two main interests that I had as a kid. And, you know, eventually after a little bit more study and really kind of narrowing my my scope of study in, in occultism and finding, you know, finding out about working with herbs and working with different plant medicines. That was really when it, it kind of became, you know, the main part of my spiritual practice. Yeah. What would you consider yourself? <laughs> That's a good question. I consider myself an entheogenic herbalist and occultist. Um, I do consider myself a witch, but I don't necessarily, you know, call myself that. I, right. I try and, and, you know, what I do, my actions are witchcraft, but it's yeah. it's not necessarily a title that I use a whole lot. For those that I know and are friends with in, involved in witchcraft or call themselves a witch or an occultist, there is this really interesting part of their journey, seemingly, that, that almost each and every one of them can identify with. It's, okay, I, I, I'm beginning to learn magic. I'm beginning to be a serious practitioner. What is my identity and, and where is my path in all of this? Did, did you find yourself in that same place where you, you maybe were involved in this stuff, you maybe were practicing, but you, you hadn't quite found plants yet? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, my my background is is kind of in religious studies. I had a a focus on hoodoo and American folk magic practices, oh, as wow. well as um, you know medieval witchcraft trials and and things like that. So yeah, wow, that is like kind of the great confluence of this book right here, isn't it? 
<laughs> yeah, it's, it's a lot of, of different threads and different schools of thought and areas of study all kind of wrapped up into this, this thing we call the poison path. Yeah. Uh, can you describe the poison path? What, what is it? Yeah, so I call it a branch of occult herbalism because it does take more of a, an esoteric look at, at working with plants, um, specifically plants of a baneful or poisonous nature. Mm. Um, you know, kind of the, the death experience that you were just talking about at the beginning. You know, a lot of these poisonous plants have a very intimate connection with that and can actually sort of be used in a, in a ritual way to sort of create controlled experiences like that, um, mm. to change consciousness for all of that. Yeah, fascinating. And outside of biological reactions to these herbs, right, do you mm -hmm. believe there is something spiritual or mag magical, potentially unexplainable that is happening here? Absolutely. I think that the, the chemical properties are just a manifestation of the spiritual qualities. Um, mm. So the, the plants being very potent chemically are also very potent spiritually, very responsive to kind of working in that realm. Yeah. Hmm. Do you think these plants represent something inherently special to the magical practitioner? Um, I think so. Mm -hmm. um, they they seem to kind of in their mythology um, really reflect kind of the the story of witchcraft, the development of magic, you know, throughout history, especially just speaking of of the Western esoteric traditions. Uh, so when we look at the the history of a lot of these entheogenic herbs or these consciousness altering plants, you know, they really correlate to kind of this development of of magical practice throughout the ages. Well, you know, what is some of the history of using poison plants, um, occult herbal? What essentially is some of the background on herbal occultism? Yeah, so they would have been used in in religious ceremonies, kind of starting off in the in the ancient world. Um, you know, so more in the context of of working with specific deities, um, you know, different devotional rituals, and things like that. Mm. So we have the the Lucinian mysteries in ancient Greece, the Dionysian mysteries, uh, which were various, you know, ecstatic cults that that used these different plants that had psychoactive effects and yeah. incorporated those into their rituals and kind of built their, um, you know, their understanding of of the world and and how they were practicing around these entheogenic rituals and you know even the the ancient Egyptians and Sumerians we have all of these these earlier dates of, of different ways that people have used things from henbane to cannabis to, you know, things like, like mandrake. Have there been any historical rituals of note, religious or otherwise, that you've looked to as, as inspiration for something within this book and or you've been able to adapt to more of a modern magical practice? Yeah, it's more so all all kind of adaptations. I wouldn't say that mm. there was a, a specific ritual. Um, you know, there's really not a lot of information out there on on working with plants like this in that mm. way. Um, so kind of finding all of these scattered bits of information and, and kind of fashioning that into a sort of a framework to work from. Now, now we know of, of grimoires and, and potentially your book is a, is a little bit 
of the grimoire itself. But but what are some of the reasons why there isn't more information out there about how to progressively use these plants in this way? Oh, I think part of it is just kind of the natural sort of development and progression of of magical practitioners and kind of also attached to sort of our understanding of, of plants and natural medicine and all of that. And in the West, there's really still kind of a, a phobia around natural medicine and, and yeah. its efficacy and <laughs> things like that. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, especially in certain places uh, that you find yourself in the country sometimes. This is true. Mm-hmm. So, you know, are there any special precautions taken with working with these plants i'm i'm sure there are right yeah absolutely and there's there's all different sorts of ways to work with them as well you know you're not always going to be working with them to have a very um you know intense entheogenic experience or or a trip for all intents or for lack of a better word um you know there are other ways to work with them vibrationally as as flower essences for different mental and emotional effects um mm. working well, with can, them can... Can you describe that a little bit to me, what what that looks like and what that experience looks like? That's fascinating. Yeah, so with the flower essences, those are vibrational remedies. Um, so they're a way that we can incorporate more potent plants into our bodies medicinally, you know, without having to worry about the, the toxic components. So the flower essences contain the energetic blueprint of the plant. And when we ingest them, they have more profound effects on the subtle things like the mind, the emotions, spirituality. Uh, Kobe, I'm I'm losing you a little bit. You're you're breaking oh, up. Sorry a about bit. that. Can you That's hear okay. me? Yep, I can hear you. Okay. Um, so they have a, a very pronounced effect on on energetics and the more subtle systems in the, of the body than they do actual physical effects. Uh, and these mm. flower essences act as sort of supportive. Um, supportive allies through, you know, working through various different traumas or mental, emotional issues, um, things like that. So it'd just be a matter of uh, putting a few drops in a glass of water, um, doing that on a daily basis to kind of incorporate the vibration of that plant. And that's going to bring up different themes that kind of correlate to the specific medicine of that herb. Fascinating. Um, I, of course, I, I look at your title. I'm talking with you right now in the understanding that a, a, a lot of this can be used for magic practice and in a real positive way, potentially for those that are, are you know, practicing responsibly. Um, have, have you experienced any sort of questioning or pushback on individuals that feel like, you know what, this is too dangerous? What, what are we doing sharing this kind of information? And is there, you know, kind of a misconception out there that this is, you know, essentially to to kill folks? Um, I would I would hope that that's not the that's not a misconception that's out there. Um, people like to joke about that. You know, the first time yeah. they see my business name, they'll say, "Oh, you know, I should get that for my my husband when he's not being very nice or whatever." <laughs> so people always <laughs> joke in that realm, but I don't think anybody actually think thinks that. At least I hope not. <laughs> right. Yeah. What What would you What would you say if someone said that? What How would How would you counter? How would you describe it to them in a different way? Oh, we lost Kobe again. Are you there? Um, I think my my Wi-Fi signal might be 
wavering a little bit. Can you hear me? Yep, I can hear you great now. Thank you. Okay. Yeah, Sorry about you're that. Good. <laughs> no worries. No worries. So where were we? <laughs> uh so so you were basically countering someone that you know potentially extremely uninitiated, going like, "Oh, you're dealing poison, so uh, this is to off my lady or whatever." Uh, and your response to them in terms of how this is a practice, what what would you say to them? And so it's sort of getting away from that understanding of the word poison as ultimately meaning death, because that is not generally the case uh, with the majority of these plants and the ways that we're using them. Um, so kind of just getting away from that and understanding that it's, we're talking about the chemical constituents. So it's the same chemicals in a plant that make it medicinal are also what can make it poisonous if it's taken at the wrong dosage or in the wrong way. Yeah. Um, so really teaching people that it's it's on an individual basis, you know, between you and the plant medicine and, you know, your understanding of that. What has working with these plants taught you so far? Oh, um, <laughs> a lot. Uh, you know, it really kind of set me on my my journey with this and. Um, you know, at the beginning, really kind of dismantled it, my life in a way that I wasn't expecting and sort of forced me to kind of head into the the direction that I am right now. So, yeah. um, you know, really just kind of embracing kind of my own sense of personal power, my own place in the world and, and just really kind of striking out and, and following my passion. And it just happens that these plants are my passion and they also want to be shared with with a wider audience that's amazing man i i almost feel like that should be the uh, addendum to whatever you tell that person that may challenge what you're doing here <laughs> <laughs> because that to totally resonates now when when people pick up this book the the poison path herbal what do you expect that they get from it I would hope that they would get an understanding um, just in like what I was talking about in that poison is a very loaded term and that it's about really understanding and in investigating kind of the, the individual plants and, and, you know, that we're all, all the, we are all responsible for kind of regulating what we take into our bodies and, and how we do it and for what reason and all of that. So it's, it's really about, about knowledge and, and teaching people about all of these different plants out there and and realizing that that plant medicine you know it's, it's not like pharmaceutical medicine um, we are a little bit safer than than people kind of make it out out to be when when exploring mm -hmm. some of these different botanical allies yeah well yeah it's a it's a great message um listen where can people find all of your stuff kobe yeah, so all my stuff is at thepoisonersapothecary.com. Um, you can get the book there, my different herbal formulas, uh, actually creating formulas for ritual use made with the plants that I discuss in the book, uh, as well as classes and all my other info. Fantastic. Well, thanks for joining Night Drift tonight, Kobe, and I appreciate it. And I, I look forward to talking to you again and, and potentially breaking down some, some of these... Uh, some of these recipes in this book. That's not the right term, is it? What is the right term for that? Oh, they're formulas, they're recipes. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah. Definitely. So, so yeah. So next time, uh, appreciate you, man. And have a great night. Yeah, I'd love that. Thanks for having me. You bet.
and stay here with Night Drift. Next segment, right after this, we'll be talking with Andrew Jewell of Strange Days and exploring Hellmouths. Right here on Night Drift on 1150 KKNW. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. West of the Cascades to the rest of the world. Lines are open. Call 425-373-5527 or toll free in Western Washington, 888-298-5569. That's 888-298-KKNW. We are back here on Night Drift. And if you want more of the program, you can find it wherever you listen to podcasts. Please subscribe, rate, and review, and don't forget to subscribe to Euphemet while you're at it. Actually, just go and subscribe to Euphemet because I'm not even posting new night drifts to that other feed. They're all being consolidated once again into the Euphemet feed. So for more information on all of that, just visit euphemet.com. And listen, you heard the numbers. Go ahead and give us a call if you'd like to talk with me or with Andrew of Strange Days. If you're a patron, which we have... Go ahead and give us a call. Let's chat. Now, the pandemic lockdown was responsible for at least a few good things. <laughs> Believe it or not. One of them being Strange Days, a self-published 40 and zine. Volumes 1 through 8 are available now, and publisher Andrew Jewell is with us here on Night Drift tonight. Andrew, how are you doing, my friend? Hey, Jim. I'm doing, I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. How are you? Of course. I'm I'm great. Like I said, I'm thankful. I, I, I'm warm in this nice house and just so joyful. Uh, I'm, I'm excited to be on the radio here tonight, my friend. We're on terrestrial radio. It's incredible. Congratulations. The show has been fantastic. And I am so happy that you and your wife are doing okay. That was a heart-wrenching and terrifying story that that must have been a, a truly scary experience and I'm so glad that you're you're here tonight with us oh, thank you thank you so much I mean it, it was I mean it honestly was bad enough that I needed to take a break last week and I just pulled up an interesting old interview I had done because I, I just couldn't bring myself to, to to write copy to come up with questions to be prepared to just be engaged live on the air and yet, when I took that break, I immediately regretted it because as I sat there and did the introduction for it live and, and listened on the other end, I realized I could have been engaging with people that I truly respect and talking with people that I truly love and with a lot of listeners that I know truly love me. And uh, that was a mistake last week and I should have just, just jumped into the fire 
Andrew, and I didn't, but I'm I'm glad I'm glad I'm talking with you here tonight. Well, I am glad to be here, and you are right. There are tons of listeners who love and appreciate your show, myself being one of them. So, I thank you again, and and I understand that uh, the, what, how looking back, how you might feel about missing last week, but you're here now, and you're here in the future, and I think that's a great thing. So, oh man, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Now on to you. um uh, i just received the latest issue of strangest days it's volume eight um strange strange days is uh, a really incredible publication but i think instead of me describing it ham-handedly i think i'll leave it to you how how would you describe strange days sure well thank you for the kind words um as you said in the intro strange days is a project that started during quarantine um, one day I was at home with my partner, now wife, uh, and we were, I, I don't know, we were a month and a half into quarantine and we're in New York City. So we were taking it pretty seriously. We weren't really leaving our apartment much. And sure, I just like got the, I was like looking at my bookshelf and I have a, a small collection of old fate magazines on, on our shelf. Sure. And I was like, of course, man, I love that. And at the time, you know, I didn't, I wasn't really seeing people, I wasn't seeing anybody in person. And usually I feel like when I see my friends and we socialize and hang out, like, you know, we've always, we trade, you know, whatever the weird, newest weird story that we've heard about, whether yeah, it was something with ufology right. or paranormal, you know, we, we pass these stories back and forth. And I wasn't, wasn't getting that, you know, getting to express that in the same way. So I'm like looking at fate and I'm like, I could, I could do that. So I sat down at the computer. <laughs> I, I let, let me say, I could do a version of that. I could do it. Yeah. I could, t- you know, I obviously I'm not making fate magazine over here and, and not, nor will I ever. But so I sat down at the computer and, and I wrote volume one in about six hours. And I, I like wrote it, uh, didn't even have anybody look it over. Didn't even, didn't have anybody like check my you know give me any feedback or do any what i just did it and i found a printer and like the first one that came up on google that was reasonably priced like i sent it to it and i just like didn't even think twice about it or look back and then when that came in i asked all my friends for their addresses and i didn't tell them why nor did i ask them if they wanted a copy i just (laughs) mailed one to them and and people liked it and there were in uh people really you know my, my friends seemed to enjoy it and gave me good feedback and some people said that they would be interested in contributing if I made another one so a couple weeks later I made another one and now here we are you know 20 months later and we have our just put out our eighth volume and it's something that yeah I'm put I'm putting out every couple of months now um and yeah it's gone from being the first one was like 20 pages and probably eight of those pages were pictures (laughs) and now the, the newest one is like 40 pages and we it's full of all types of contributions it's not just myself anymore it's other writers and illustrators we had um like a graphic novelist submit like a little comic strip for the newest one which is fantastic uh we've had some poetry in the past so any you know all of these extremely talented people that i respect have have helped contribute and here we are with with volume eight now and with no plans to stop really so well, it looks beautiful, and this may be a hot take, and it's not to be disparaging to anyone, but what you're producing with Strange Days right now is the closest thing you will find to those fate magazines that we all love and have stacked 
in our living rooms or bedrooms or wherever else. So, <laughs> well, thank you. I sincerely appreciate that. And you, I have to thank you. I mean, you've been a supporter for, for a very, very long time of this. And, and I, I sincerely appreciate that and, and always appreciate your feedback. Oh, thank you so much. I mean, listen, you're, you're doing it right. Uh, stylistically, I, I love it because there's really unique and, and bold choices going on with it. And I'm just like thumbing through this issue and each issue just gets more and more jam-packed. The paper has changed. The uh, I, I notice, yeah, you, the, the, the cover is changed. It's like got this sort of like wax quality to it now. It's just really, I don't know, encouraging to see a project like this really get its own wings and and grow what are some of the things that you want to do with strange days as you look forward i i mean i don't i I don't know i I don't there's not a whole lot that i want to change about what we're doing now as you said like you know the stylistically we have changed this um as you said the paper and the cover the cardstock the textures have changed a little bit this this latest volume has a different type of binding than we have done before but I, I really want to, I mean, you know, I'm trying to skirt the line between making this like a really polished, nice magazine, but also holding on to like the DIY, DIY like zine aesthetic yeah, to it. Right. Because I don't want to, I mean, that's what this started as. And I, I don't want to let that aspect go. So I, I'm yeah. sort of like experimenting with, you know, ever so slightly changing the format here and there to figure out where you know, what is going to work for the long term for us. But as far as goals, I, I just want to keep put, putting them out. I want to keep collecting stories from people in illustrations and artwork and anything else that anyone wants to submit that has to do with anything strange and unusual. I just feel like this the community of, of people that I have met through this has been, it's, I mean, it's irreplaceable. I don't see myself, I don't see myself you know, not being in touch with some of the friends that I've made ever, you know, these are friends that that I've made for life essentially through this. And I really just want to keep pushing forward and sharing, sharing strange stories with people. And and if anybody has one, please send it our way. We we would love to put it out. What's your email that they can get a hold of you for that? Of course. Yeah. It's um, strange days spelled strange days, S T R A N G E D A Y S zine, Z I N E at gmail.com. What can we look forward to in this issue of Strange Days? So volume eight is is awesome. I'm super excited about it. Um, as I mentioned already, we had an artist named R.B. Tower, uh, who's out of Las Vegas, who submitted um, a little comic uh, about, not even so much about the Bell Witch, but about uh, the impression that the Bell Witch left on them as a child. They, they uh, grew oh, wow. up sort of near that area. Uh, so they made like a four page little comic, uh, which is beautiful. I mean, it's when he sent over the pages, I was just like, man, does this guy know what I'm producing here? Because this is like professional <laughs> work that like needs to be, you know, that that I, I hope I can do it justice by putting it in the pages of our silly little magazine. But it's <laughs> it's awesome. It's super fun. Um Another uh, a story submission that we received this time around was um, by someone uh, from upstate New York who was visiting um, uh, like New Mexico in the this past summer in June, and they had like a black triangle UFO sighting, 
and they submitted a couple pictures with it, which are very, very cool. Um, it's like, seems like a very, very credible site. And I actually met this person um, at a like UFO fair at the end of the summer. And they told me about the story. And then when they sent me the typed up story with the photos, my mind was blown because it's like, I mean, there's, I'm looking at the, the photo right now and it's, I mean, it's, if you were to, you know, doodle a black triangle, it's exactly that in a real photo. So it's, that's a, a story that I was very, very pumped about. Um, there's also an update about the Lake Michigan Mothman. And then, um, you know, stories that, that I think we might touch on tonight. Uh, I got it a little bit, did a, did a mini dive into like hell mounts and portals to hell on earth. And then um, one specific very liminal place in New York called Mount Misery, which is a, I find to be a very interesting place. So yeah, this, this volume is like packed full of tons of fun stuff. It's jam packed and it's also a little bit magical. I don't know if on the other end you could hear the helicopter from my microphone. I think I did hear that. I actually thought maybe you were queuing up some, some like ambient noise or something to set the mood i i wish i i wish i were but but honest to god there is this phenomenon that that maybe some people in the audience are familiar with of when black triangles are either are either seen or mentioned they are accompanied by a passing by of a black helicopter that and is... sure enough as you are describing this story on the black triangle a black helicopter flies above my house. That is incredible. Well, I, I, uh, I, I am sorry that I, if I have brought that upon you, uh, but Listen, yeah, it wouldn't, right. it wouldn't, I mean, the, it wouldn't be the first time. So, uh, yeah, that's, yeah, that is wild that that just, that, that just happened. So let's, let's break that story down just a little bit. Um, it, it, it was nine thirty seven PM. They heard a loud rumbling in the sky. They they whipped their gaze up and they started to see these blinking lights. And it was about thirty miles south of Kirtland Air Force Base, which right. individuals. I mean, what what is the significance of Kirtland there? I mean, Kirtland has has long. I mean, it's sort of like um, it, it depends. I mean, I guess it depends on how much you're wanting to like stretch your imagination. But there's a long history right. of of top secret. Uh, happenings there like you know um, recovered wreckage that sort of thing being brought there or you know like people uh, like when something is recovered and the air force is trying to reverse engineer it you know they say it can happen there um, there's like a very huge they test missiles there as well i believe there's you know the airspace around them is restricted and it's a very very large area that is restricted um you know there's i, I believe there have been ufo sightings around Kirtland Air Force Base going back to like the 50s, not too long after Roswell, of course. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that, I mean, that if, if the US government was testing out UFO technology, I mean, it, all signs point to that it would be happening out there uh, around Kirtland Air Force Base. And that's what um, the author of this, of this story, the person who had this experience was, was hinting at as well. And, and they actually, say when i spoke to him he said it seemed like he didn't think that he was looking at something extraterrestrial he thought that he was looking at basically like a, a, a uh, you know an experimental craft that was flying out of wow. air, air base that was just like what his takeaway from it so yeah which huh. is wild um so then you start to wonder where you know 
what was the inspiration for this experimental craft and where did this technology come from and all of these all of these different things so it's a really really interesting story and it, it I, it's certainly not the first this isn't the first person to report seeing something like this in that area so it's it's very wild well yeah folks need to check out this photo in in this edition it's it's really pretty startling now speaking of startling i mean you mentioned something about hellmouth can can you describe what people believe hellmouths are and and how you know how you cover those in in this edition of strange days yeah so you know it's the idea that there have been portals to hell on earth has you know existed for as long as people believe that hell was a place that existed more or less and Hellmouths specifically were something that sort of popped up uh, around medieval times. And basically they were thought to be these gate with these actual doorways to hell that were, it, it, it was, you, it was within the jaws of a beast, like a large oh hell beast, maybe something like a dragon or some other sort of hellish beast. And when this creature opened its mouth and, and, you know, it basically was opening a portal to hell. So that's that's what the hell nuts are specifically in in, in this oh, issue. Wow. The the article we, we talk about or I, I that I wrote, I talk about talk about hell nuts and then you know a little bit in a in a slightly more broad sense talk about hell, just portals to hell on earth in general, because it's just such a fascinating idea. And it goes to me, it strikes a chord that it's something that has been talked about on this show and on, on Euphemet often, and that's, you know, talking about liminal spaces. And mm-hmm. I know you, you speak to Garrett Kelly often and, and about liminal earth and his project. And, and to me, like, I mean, this, the idea that there is like a liminal space, which, you know, is defined as the, the physical space between one destination and the next, basically. So the idea that there is a, a physical space, like a hell mouth or a gate to hell on earth, it's just such a fascinating idea to me. And it, it it's just, I mean, there are so many things that I, that I find interesting about that. And, and also uh, to sort of loop it into, or to link it to another story that's in this issue is I sort of started wondering like, you know, what is it about these places that make a make people think that they are an actual portal to hell and B like, that the feeling is strong enough that this idea and these legends and this the, these myths and lore like can you know go on for centuries and centuries i mean there are you know right. stories about gates to hell and portals to hell going back to like greco-roman times um and I, it's just like such a fascinating thing to me to think about what was it that made someone you know what kind of experience did someone have what kind of feeling did this place evoke to make someone or many people think that they were actually in a place that could have a portal to the underworld. Mm. Do you personally feel like you've ever experienced that, that, that you've been at potentially the, the, the gate of some great unknown or at the very least stuck in a liminal space? Yeah, I, I think I have. Um, and, you know, it's it wasn't anything as as magnificent or fantastical as a, you know a, a giant beast opening its mouth and and revealing a gate to the underworld but yeah i mean i i, I certainly feel like i've been to places that 
evoke a feeling that uh, of liminality and, and and make me think that like you know you talk you hear people talk about how like the veil is thin and i think that there are you know many ways to interpret that but i i feel like i have been to places where for lack of a better term the veil has felt thin to me and yeah, you know it's right. not like it hasn't ever been like a, a haunted location or anything like that but I, I i'm thinking specifically about a time when i was in in college years ago and i was my roommate and i were exploring like um the ruins of like a train not a depot but like a train like an industrial train depot like out in the woods where the tracks were no longer in use and everything was grown over and it was just like this place that really evoked this feeling of like being halfway between where we were and someplace unseen so yeah, yeah. I you know I, I don't know that there are portals to the underworld out there but I certainly think that there are places that there's more than meets the eye I guess Right. And Mount Misery potentially being one of those places, you know, kind of in brief, what 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 is captivating about this location, Mount Misery? So Mount Misery is, is on Long Island and depending on, you know, when you read, when you look into it, most places are going to uh, most information you find is going to say that it's like the highest point on Long Island. But that's actually not hmm. accurate. That's inaccurate. But it is it is this place on Long Island that it's more of like an idea of an area than an actual area if you go out there and speak to locals they're going to tell you that there isn't a mount called misery it's oh, just like it, the area like there are some now other folks will, will probably argue differently there are areas of, like hilly areas out there but it's sort of it's hard to really pin down like a gps coordinate of exactly where this is but hmm. so this area out, out on long island is just i mean it's not uh said to be a hell mouth or anything that crazy but it is just absolutely brimming with like folklore and urban legends and mythology going back hundreds of years about all of these different things that have happened out there um in the article i you know when i was researching i found thing you know uh stories about a school that bur or excuse me yeah a school that burnt down and then there was another one that there was an insane asylum out there that burnt down and the people who perished in the fire haunts area and there's mm. stories about a lady in white which is you know an international phenomenon that have you know people sure. have been reporting for centuries there's also many many stories about ufos seen in this area and subsequently men in black seen in this area after people have had ufo sightings john keel actually wrote about that in the mothman prophecies um there are stories about uh like thunderbirds some of these some of the legends you know go back to first nationers and native american tribes and they used to think that there were thunderbirds that lived in this area and thunderbirds hmm. you know are sort of um there's they're like supernatural shape-shifting creatures so it's sort of like this place that is just has one of everything. If you think about like urban legends that we're all familiar with, and I, I'm really attracted to these stories because I feel like these are things that at least myself, I grew up with and you, you hear about all of these different urban legends. And so to find a place that seems to have one of everything, it's so interesting. And it just sort of, as I was researching, it made me sort of start to ask myself, you know, like what, what is it about these this place is it it's like the chicken and the egg scenario right like is there something that was actually happening here that made people feel something like i felt when i was exploring the woods and felt like i was in a place that was maybe a liminal space like 
is that something that's happened there and that's sort of perpetuated these myths have people actually had experiences with these different urban legends have they seen a lady in white out in the woods have they seen a thunderbird it's just i, I don't know i just i just find it so so interesting and and it just really makes me wonder if 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 these stories not even if they're legitimate but like what is causing these experiences and, uh, and it also makes me wonder if if it's such a focus, such a large amount of like focused energy of people talking about it, if it's sort of like a tulpa situation where this energy is manifesting into the thing that that people have been talking about for so long. Yeah. So, <laughs> my brain yeah. like just goes in circles with this. Well, it sounds like Mount Misery is a, a whole nother chapter, like a, a, a broader investigation for you to fall into yes. my friends. And, yes. and I can't I wait. I, I, I was not familiar with this space until I read this article. And so I'm, I'm very excited that you're the, you're the person looking into this now. Uh, Andrew, where can people find strange days? They can find us on Instagram and Twitter at strange days zine. Um, and they can email us at strangedayszine at gmail.com. And there's a quicker link, strangedayszine.com. You can find everything on there. So, uh, yeah, to look, check us out. Volume 8's available now. Jim, thank you so, so much for taking the time to talk with me, man. I appreciate it. Andrew, thank you so much, my friend. And thank you, everyone, for listening to Night Drift with me, Jim Perry. Hear the show anytime on its podcast feed, wherever you listen to them. Go to euphemet.com for more <laughs> and join us next Sunday. And until then, keep looking up. Follow Night Drift with Jim Perry on Spotify and subscribe on Apple Podcasts to receive new episodes of Night Drift automatically and gain access to all of our past episodes.